Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. sexual attraction to them <laughs> i particularly uh miss cluck <laughs> okay well first it's lady cluck lady, lady cluck <laughs> i mean i guess the whole point of anthropomorphizing them is to make them have a personality so so i think it's fine <laughs> what it was tongue-in-cheek <laughs> i was just pointing out that lady cluck seemed like a lot of fun and it would be a jokey person to be attracted to, but whatever, I'll take it. <laughs> All right. What do you so, think about it, David? Um. Well, I've done a little bit of reading about furries, and they kind of weird me out. <laughs> like they have an odd perspective on the world, and I, at some point, I'd like to talk about uh, delusion well, and how it can play into people's psych psychological well being. Okay. Well, wouldn't if it was Lady Clock, wouldn't it be Featheries? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Isn't nice. that it? Well, well played. I just think it's interesting that uh, that people can feel that way. I, I'm not saying it's bad or anything. It's just not a, a way that I've thought about things. Do, okay. Are you talking still about furries or about people who have like a joke crush on a cartoon character who happens to be an animal? Well, I mean, I had a. I would say I had not a joke crush, but like <laughs> some kind of weird. Uh, attraction to Maid Marian when I was uh, younger mm. watching it. I don't know why. I mean, understandably, she's, you know, quite a beautiful fox. Yeah. But uh, obviously not bestiality, but it is odd. <laughs> <laughs> obviously not. <laughs> obviously not. But it is odd. Why do we humanize animals so much? What is it about particularly Disney that makes us want to feel connected at all, on a human level to a non-sentient being. No, I mean, it, animals are sentient. Yeah, they are, you would say? Yeah, oh yeah. Orson Scott Carr would probably disagree do you, with you, Okay, think. well, do you mean, by sentient, do you mean, like, not, well, I don't even Conscious, know. I guess I would mean. Well, I would still say most mammals at least appear to be conscious in the way that they behave. They have behaviors that you can observe even if they don't know you're around. Oh yeah, I I guess hum, but humanize to humanize an animal to make it seem like I mean, and I'm saying this as someone who absolutely loves Narnia, who absolutely loves the Briar. Like, why why as humans do we want to do this? I love it. Like Redwall, for example, was one of my favorite bo books. Okay, here's why: animals are the closest things to us on the planet, so they're the one step removed of what people are compared to rocks or trees, or earth, hmm. or sky, or clouds, or rain, or rivers, or whatever. Of all of those things, much more like a person is a raccoon, 
or a rabbit or a bear because they have nervous systems and they need to eat and they fumble around in the forest. And so I think it's like for this movie, which we're doing, which was what again, David? <laughs> we're doing Robin Hood. <laughs> yes. Uh, the Disney film from 1973. Yes. The, the uh, Disney. One of my personal favorite Disney films. I'd say it's in my top three for sure. Mm-hmm. This would probably be my equivalent to Aladdin in the number of times we watched it growing up, exceeded only probably by The Jungle Book. Yeah. Though, so a different this time is that I also watched Robin Hood very much when we were growing up. Yes. So, <laughs> so we were both quite so familiar, we're both with, familiar it. with this film. But before we actually go further into the Robin Hood specific, I just would say that making the characters animals in any medium is good for children because it removes some of the realism of any potential violence or danger. True. True. <laughs> Although, it's happening to interestingly, animals. the kids still feel for them probably about the same as if they were people i would say i know i did and i think that there's just a human fascination with animals because they are almost us but not quite and there's really nothing else close especially mammals and, true and it's how not it's, like they've uh, they've got fish running around in no, Robin Hood. Yeah. although i guess there's finding nemo and... <laughs> yeah so anyway i don't know I don't really know, but I think that's. I, th- I, I mean, guess. that's that's a that's an answer, I guess. Uh, but it just seems we have, we have such a deep attachment to animals and making them seem as human as possible uh, that I find fascinating. And maybe we could talk about more at a later date. But okay, so going into Robin Hood, what a fun film! I think totally. we both agreed. We hadn't. I think neither of us had watched it in a while, and watching it this time, it's just so enjoyable. Yeah. And so ridiculous like yeah there's so many movies that you know you watched all those movies you as a kid watched so much of and loved and then you know you come back 15 20 years later as an adult to watch them and you're like hmm it's not quite as good as i remember there's a lot of movies like that robin hood is not one of those movies this time watching robin hood and again i don't think i've seen it for about 15 years but i watched it all the time as a kid and it is still awesome it is still so funny. and Yeah, then there's layers to the humor. Holy are the jokes do they land. Even still with me, like, especially all the thing, all the little whiny complaints of Sir Hiss and the over-the-top narcissism mixed with, I guess, babyism of Prince John. Some real Freudian stuff going <laughs> yeah. on in this, in this film. And uh, the kind of almost, like, mildly self meta aware comments from little john (laughs) yeah just really close i think one of my favorites from watching it this time was um prince john's insulting names for sir hiss i I found those very enjoyable (laughs) and just the like absurd absurd ways that like especially prince john and the sheriff would make jokes about things or like be oblivious to everything so you can't even you can't even believe that they'd be capable of that. But I mean, it's the point of the Disney movie to have your villains have some sort of like crazy blind spot. It's a great it's a great trope in a movie to have these super powerful villains who are like seemingly horribly incompetent. Yeah, and yet still a little <laughs> bit scary at times. Unbelievably right? so. 
and still like i guess command the respect and attention of these legions of rhinoceroses and elephants and, and wolves it looks like who are archers <laughs> yes. who just listen to them who seem way better at anything than they are i guess the sheriff is a wolf too though yeah, he, just a really fat wolf. Yeah, but the archers, are they wolves? Or are they just dogs? Or what they, are they? they seem to be wolves. Yeah. yeah. Or coyotes, maybe. All of the m- most competent soldiers in this don't even get a name. No. <laughs> I don't think a, a single one of them is even yeah. a person or referred to. Yeah, and so uh, it was great, yeah, to just obviously Robin Hood is a much broader story than Disney's Robin Hood. And we'll probably touch on, I know we'll touch on some of the more broad Robin Hood themes, but I think there's something so beautifully nostalgic. You know what it is? There should be a word for when going back to something nostalgic doesn't let you down. Oh, yeah. You know, like when it goes back and it's still got that quality. Yeah, there's like a, there's gen, there's definitely a, a, love for it. a wistfulness element of nostalgia where you, or and borderline wishfulness element of nostalgia where oh, you know, that time, the those movies, those music, that was the good old days. And revisiting some of them, you're just like, eh, maybe not. Like, maybe this isn't as good as I remember. But the moment nostalgia doesn't let you down, I don't know what the word is yet. We'll come up with it. But a great example of it is Disney's Robin Hood. And so I think that that was why it was, this was the Robin Hood we wanted to do because of how meant how much it meant to us as kids. And and I think how much it means to a lot of people our our age and younger and older. Like I think of my little sister who's ten years younger than me. She's sitting there watching it with us because she watched it with us, quoting word for word this movie that came out in the nineteen seventies. I know that's some staying power, right? (laughs) It goes to show too how many hits Disney has. Because you could name 30 Disney hits before you got to Robin Hood. And yet I can't say any of them would be better than Robin Hood. You know, like we did Aladdin before, but when I watch the mega Disney movies like Lion King or Beauty and the Beast or Mulan, uh, you mentioned Finding Nemo, Toy Story, or, or even some of the older ones like Snow White or The Jungle Book, like you said, 101 Dalmatians, you name it, right? All of those movies, I think Robin Hood is as good as. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. insane how this is probably not uh, a too absurd comparison and probably not, I'm not the first one to make it, but Disney's kind of like the Beatles of movies. <laughs> they just keep <laughs> producing know? great content. I mean, even now. Uh, even though they're all adaptations. I haven't seen Tangled. I have seen Frozen. And honestly, a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. It's a good film. Mm-hmm. Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> Yeah, well, I've seen that one either. Internet, but they're uh, both great. But yeah, like I, if really... only they, they weren't soul corrupting sellouts to the Chinese government. Eh? Yes, <laughs> that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and that's how really true fiction got banned in China. <laughs> right there. Now the Chinese are onto us. I couldn't be more proud. I'm not worried. They were already <laughs> onto me. So. <laughs> Ooh, dun dun dun. I'm um, okay. So let's talk about Robin Hood, the character here for mm-hmm. a moment. I'll just give my brief synopsis of him. I think we'll talk about the archetype of Robin Hood a little bit later. But in this particular film, it's very interesting that Robin Hood, they really capture this well. It's Robin Hood and his merry men, right? Mm-hmm. Like this idea 
of a group of kind of vagabonds and and misfits who are outside of the law, but they're outside of the law because the law is wrong. Yeah. And I find this concept really interesting because I don't know if Robin Hood is at all the first, but even look at Robin Hood and Star Wars, the ancient tale of Robin Hood, the man who's standing up for the little guy who's rebelling against more powerful forces, who's who's doing good, but is outside of... but makes the state appear bad. That's not a common theme in history before this time. Like as much as it's very it's a very much glorified theme by Americans, particularly be- because of the revolution and re- and rebelling against uh the British, we didn't in other cultures see much of at least as far as I know and I'd love to be corrected on this, much of a, you know, the moral rebel or the moral thief or the moral vagabond. But here we see not only the moral vagabond, not only is he standing up for the poor and the downtrodden, but he's also way happier, way smarter. Like there's nothing wrong with him. And uh, I just love the beginning, you know, Robin Hood, little John running through the forest. Laughing back and forth what the other one has to say. (laughs) And we immediately encounter just these fun loving guys, who aren't living in the despair of being, you know, poor or, you know, kind of, you know, so much of our even modern culture is criminals are often forced to become that because of their circumstances. But these guys don't seem unhappy or like they have bad circumstances or any of these things. They're they're noble mm-hmm. thieves, noble uh, rebels. And I think they capture that very well with Robin himself being kind of a trickster he's almost like a puck character eh? yeah yeah he's the um he's definitely the most devil may care yeah like way way more than little john yeah little john is a little bit more worried yeah well i mean it's hard to say little john's worried he kind of goes along with everything robin does too i mean in this movie the merry men are actually just the two of them and then friar tuck kind of comes in and out well then there's them. that little party that they have yeah they the have the, they, they do have the party but it seemed like in the party most of the people attending were townspeople that's true that's and i mean true. there was there's a major robin hood character in the lore who's not in the movie and that's will scarlet and a major villain in the lore named i think guy of gisborne who's not in the movie either so really the merry men are robin and little john and then, of course, we have Alan Adale, who's the rooster, who's kind of the bard telling the story to us, the audience. And so, but you can imagine, like, I don't think that diminishes the idea of the, the merry men living in the forest, robbing from the rich to feed the poor. And I think probably the most interesting thing about Robin Hood is he's presented as an unequivocal moral hero and then i think what has kind of crept up into the uh, like a cultural critique of robin hood more recently and by recently i mean like maybe in the last century as opposed to like i don't know whatever was the five or six centuries previous where he was a story is well, was Robin Hood really a good guy? <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, like was yeah. like what do we think about someone who steals from the rich? Like, what's wrong with the rich? Kind of thing. And of course, that's a super legitimate and interesting question. I I would say, I think 
part of what I would want to convey in this podcast is that I think Robin Hood is still a hero, but you you do need to take on that question. Yeah, and I, th- I think you there's know, an answer to that question. I do too. I really do. Uh, Robbing the rich to feed the poor is a relatively unsophisticated way to look at Robin Hood, I think. But I do want to... I think that that critique I mentioned a minute ago is addressed in a very funny way at the beginning of this movie when they it's near Robin Hood and Little John have just escaped the archers. They've climbed a tree and they're talking to each other. It's right at the beginning and Little John says, hey, I was just thinking, are we the good guys or the bad guys? Which is a <laughs> great little echo to that, to that question. To that yeah. question. Yeah. And Robin Hood just kind of like, ah, you know, that devil may care guy's like, we just borrow a bit yeah, from yeah. those who can afford it. And boy, are we in debt. <laughs> borrow? <laughs> boy, are we in debt. And I like that little wink and a nod to a, a kind of a self-awareness about that issue. Now, as the movie goes on, and I will probably talk about it a little bit more, especially with Prince John, is that that's not exactly what's happening here. <laughs> no. But no. Probably the first the first interesting thing Robin and Lil John do in this movie is dress up as fortune tellers to fool Prince John into stealing his money, <laughs> you know? Yeah. As a kid you think that's so funny. But watching it this time I was like, "Holy cow, let's just let's just do a little bit of the arithmetic here. Fortune telling and flattery to remove you of your money." Yeah, like that's <laughs> like that's, that's a con holy artist. Holy cow! Is that that is that is totally uh, con artistry? You know what it reminded me of is actually the con artists in Huck Finn, and how we see them as complete bad guys and just these vagabonds who deserve to be hanged and eventually are. Yeah, <laughs> like and it's interesting that we just by contextualizing what Robin Hood and Little John are doing. And then in the following scene, uh, where they are, where we meet uh, the sheriff, but also where Robin Hood comes in in disguise and is is giving gifts, and he's kind of almost a Father Christmas figure. He's like he's the hero, mm-hmm. and yet we see how much money he's stealing and like conning, yeah, Prince John out of, and it's like, oh yeah, this is hilarious and good. Well, it's entirely because. Okay, so in Huck Finn, the Duke and the King, the con artists in that one, they are fleecing the townspeople or what we might call innocent people for their own gain. Yes. yes. Whereas Robin and Little John are fleecing Prince John, who is unashamedly a tyrant, to benefit the downtrodden in Nottingham. And I think those two endgames of their pursuits are what, you know, make them so drastically different in terms of how we feel about their moral fiber, <laughs> let's say, you know, because of what they're what they're doing it for almost. Their intention seems to be relevant because, you know, Prince John is a total shithead. <laughs> and well, yeah, and I uh, will go into that when we talk about him, but like Robin Hood, the character in this Disney film, he's like the most handsome character. Oh yeah, he's the most devil may care character. Like the little girls are like in love with him. Like he's he's not only you know the Brad Pitt to the Maid Marian, he's the you know Backstreet Boys to the, mm-hmm. to the teenage girls. But I think it's so fascinating that one of my favorite scenes, probably not my favorite, but one of my favorite, 
is when um you know they're having this birthday party for this young rabbit fellow and he's i think it's it seems like it's a significant birthday so like kind of like coming into manhood and what happens they've saved up some money for him they give him his gift and then in walks a sheriff and takes his gift and like I remember as a child just feeling such injustice in that moment. I was like, how is this fair? How is this allowed? And they, they, this is what Disney does so well. They just make you feel in that moment exactly the emotion they want you to feel. And then when you see Robin Hood come in and trick the sheriff, even though it appears as if the sheriff is tricking him, I'm in awe of the subtle emotional manipulation that's going on here. We, after that, after you see him come in and take care of the widow and like make the boy happy, you are like 100% team Robin Hood oh, all yeah, the way. For sure. Yeah. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that scene also made a big impact on me watching it this time around. I mean, obviously, as a kid, every scene is kind of fun in this movie, but that one was so. That one was such an important scene, I think, in not the Disney Robin Hood either. Well, I don't know if this is like part of the actual more broad Robin Hood lore or not. But just before that, we had seen wanted posters of Robin Hood in Nottingham, right? I think it was, I can't remember the money, but it was a lot. So he's an outlaw, obviously. He's a marked fox. <laughs> they're, they're hunting him. That doesn't deter him. He still goes into Nottingham in his disguise to make sure that he can give, directly give the money that he, some of the money he's stolen from Prince John to this rabbit family <laughs> right in front of the guy who can arrest him the most for being there. Uh, but again, he plays to, this is something Robin Hood does so well in this movie, is he plays to his opponent's weaknesses. And the sheriff's weakness is his, you know, self-confidence, overconfidence, so that it'd be impossible for Robin Hood to sneak in, right? So this old man with a cane is obviously not Robin Hood because there's no way he would sneak by me. You know? Yeah, it does seem to be the, the sheriff's <laughs> great weakness. It's just an inability to comprehend. I think there's also an element of him thinking that the townspeople you know, would probably turn Robin Hood in if yep. they knew he was around. And that's Which shows how little he knows about the townspeople either. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they'd never turn him in because he's their hero, yeah. right? Which I think is interesting because uh, obviously, again, we're not seeing a lot of nuance here in the sense that there might have been someone in the town who, you know, was jealous of Robin Hood. or But, but no, he's just a hero. Yeah. Right? Well... I know that there are more sophisticated Robin Hood movies out there. Like, I think his gen, like the 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 story of his beginning was like the 2010 one with Russell Crowe. Yeah, and then well, obviously that's one of the we got the Magna Carta in it. Too. Yeah, and then there was the one with Kevin Costner from the 90s. I think so. There's been a couple that are a little bit more. And there's of obviously a, all the books that have been written yeah. about it. Oh, and there's a new one last year that I think no one liked. <laughs> if I remember correctly. <laughs> right. But what was, so like to finish that thought of him in the house with the rabbits. Okay, so this is why I think part of why we feel so much for Robin Hood is that he doesn't have to, but he puts his own skin in the game. Like he voluntarily makes it more dangerous for himself than it needs to be so that he can be the one to help 
the people of Nottingham, both with their financial situation, but also their joy. Like, I think, of course, and we see it too, like, sure, Robin could just give the money in the forest to Friar Tuck. Friar Tuck disperses it among the town. Robin doesn't have to go to the town. No problem, right? Like, or there's no, there's a significantly less danger to Robin Hood if he doesn't go into Nottingham at all. But what's lost if he doesn't do that is that firsthand joy that those kids and that family got by seeing him. And sure, you could say, I think probably Robin likes that. But also, I think there's something to an extra level of adoration you have for a person who voluntarily puts themselves into danger to help help others. others. Yes. Right? I think there's just, for some reason, there appears to be an automatic human admiration for those people like think of the fireman who rushes into the burning building or the or the soldier who you know jumps in front of a bullet for his friend or jumps on a on a grenade yeah robin hood is an incredible cultural example of that type of person yes yes. and and i think that that's that's an under undercurrent of the charm that we feel for him is when you as a kid you never think this but in this movie i did think a little bit like why is Robin going to this town? Like, yeah. why is he? <laughs> There's like, wanted posters yeah. right there. This is like yeah. the most dangerous place. He's like the most wanted person in the most dangerous town. And yet he seems to get a kick out of it almost, which I mean, maybe you could say is foolish, but he does so well in it that the only time he gets caught is because he's trying to see Maid Marian, right? At the archery event. Well, and th- that brings us to the other interesting thing of how they're how um, Disney is painting him as a hero for us, and that is we move immediately from him doing this deed, and even during the doing of this deed, what's brought up? Maid Marian's brought up. Are you going to marry Maid Marian? My mom says you're going to marry Maid Marian, and he's like, oh, I don't know. But that then we're introduced to Maid Marian and the lady cluck mm-hmm. and we find out oh she's definitely still in love with him and then we see him hopelessly in love yeah and we're imme- so we're taken from okay so he's fun loving and you know he he's smarter so he's he's fun loving and he's smart he's caring and then oh and he's also a hopeless romantic <laughs> yeah perfect man right or, <laughs> yeah. or fox in this case <laughs> what a dream boat <laughs> and i think all of these things not only endear him to the fact that he's kind of a swashbuckling, um, you know, endears him to all the little, uh, the young, like, adventurers well, out that, there. Well, um, he's got that one great line that I think sums it all up, where Friar Tuck tells, comes in the forest and tells him and Little John about the event. And it's just before they're going, and Little John says, Oh, man, Robin, that place is going to be crawling with guards. And in a very heroic pose, Robin says, faint hearts never won fair ladies. <laughs> yes. And that, yes. that combination of, like, I don't know. It's just, it's just like pure inspiration, really. You're, you're just left thinking, like, yeah, faint hearts never did win fair ladies. Exactly. You're right, Robin. Huh? And, 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 and it and, makes and it's you also- appreciate. And, I mean, of course, his disguises are so great throughout all of this. And Little John and Robin... Obviously, it was their plan for Prince John to figure it out so that he was distracted maybe from the fact that little John was clearly in a disguise as well. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think that, that I just, don't know if they had a plan because I don't think he was, he was trying well, to get caught. this time I want to give them the credit and say I think that 
because they know how tunnel vision and and relatively thoughtless Prince John is or PJ. <laughs> That's a great PJ. PJ. I like that I like one. That. <laughs> because Prince John was so he'd get tunnel vision on if he thought the stork was Robin, he wouldn't pay any attention to I don't know, what was the duke? What was his name? Little John. The Duke of Chutney was that yeah. who it was? Well, it's, yeah, and he's like uh, he's. I think he's supposed to be some French like royalty. Oh, really? He's he's um, greeted by Little John in French, but then he doesn't really respond in French. Sure. <laughs> and then he and then he sits down right beside uh, Prince John, and and one of my favorite lines in the movie: "Be gone, long one." <laughs> <laughs> to his yeah to serve it it's just oh it's so good so anyway in this one i wanted to give them the benefit of the doubt and say yeah you played on another because again i think it's in the characters that robin hood and little john are so good at playing on the weaknesses of the villains in this that they would play on prince john's weakness of not being able to see the deception of little john by being so focused on robin hood's deception yes thus being able to stay right beside him and know his every move the whole time and then be ready to you know be there when when uh, shit hits the fan yeah okay so i think that the more we've done a good job of painting the underlying charm and moral fortitude of robin hood but obviously and we hinted at it before we'd be remiss to not take on the economic or political philosophy of robin hood and the, uh, and the, the ethos of steal from the rich to give to the poor. And I, as an adult, I've realized that that is such an impoverished way to look at Robin Hood, certainly in this movie. And I, I will admit, I'm not as well read up or knowledgeable about the entire lore of Robin Hood, but I think that from what I got from this movie, a better tagline to put on it that we can unpack a bit is Rob from the undeserving rich to feed the poor or the or rob from tyrants to feed the poor to feed the poor yeah. and there are a lot of hints at that or overt well overtures at it so in our this first movie. hint of that is when um sir hiss and prince john are talking and he's gloating about the fact that he got uh his brother who's the rightful king of england to go on a crusade so that he could rule and this is a very uh essential part of the robin hood tale I've, in the books that i've read and the other movies that i've watched I think they're immediately setting it up, or Disney is immediately setting it up as just what you said. It's not the rich are bad because nobody hates King Richard. And in right. fact, King Richard is a good guy. The Lionheart. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but they do hate Prince John. So so what is it that they hate about Prince John? It's that he seems to be unfairly burdening the general public with his with his tax policies. And, and and becoming rich and concentrating wealth and causing vast inequality. Yeah. Which inequality is the one of the quickest destabilizers of any society. Yeah. And I mean, this is literally a cartoon with Prince John sifting through his money in the card going, Taxes. Taxes. <laughs> like like the yeah, most the most bumbling, mustache-twirling villain of all time who just, like, wants the money just to play with it. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> like, that's, that's the funny Not even part. to use There it doesn't appear to be any purpose to his collecting all this money. He yeah. just wants to have it around. And sleep with it and have it around him. But intellectually, this opened up a whole new vista for my thoughts on um, Robin Hood with 
And I think it's something along the lines of, it's really important to note who specifically Robin Hood takes the money from in the story. He takes money from Prince John. Uh, I guess you could say he takes it from the sheriff as well, but I think the sheriff, all the money he collects, gives it to Prince John. So he's a sen- so he's stealing from a tyrant, okay? A tyrant is a perfect example of an undeserving rich person. <laughs> yes. Because they're, they're taking other people's money by force. Uh, or coercion, or or manipulation, or whatever, right? As opposed to, and this is, I think, a really crucial distinction, a, a deserving person of wealth, or a deserving rich person. And so, what what is Prince John manifestly not? He's manifestly not a member of the merchant class. He's manifestly not someone who creates a product or a service that other people find valuable, thus giving them lots of money. And what do we even see in this movie? We see Otto, the blacksmith, who is a merchant. Like he, I mean, you know, in the Middle Ages, the smithies were pretty essential for the economy and the trade of the time. Even the merchant classes are getting taxed out their asses. Yeah, well, so much so they have nothing. Even when when he's injured, like even when things aren't going that well. So here's a counterfactual thought experiment that I think makes it really interesting to think about Robin Hood. What would we think about Robin Hood if he robbed from the Ottos? Yes, if he was going in and stealing money from the the blacksmith blacksmith. or the butcher or the grocer or, I mean, uh, the cobbler, I don't know, the tanner. I'm not sure the stores. (laughs) That's probably the extent of my knowledge of the the shipbuilder. Think about it. it. Like, if he was going to, I mean, obviously, there wasn't really a middle class (laughs) in this era. But imagine if Robin Hood is stealing from relatively well-off middle-class merchant types to feed people. I don't think we have the same view of him then as we do from him stealing from someone like Prince John. Well, I'll take your thought experiment and I'll, I'll try to take it a step further. And so recently I've had a lot of conversations with people about what constitutes being rich. And it is an amorphous category. Yeah, isn't like, it? oh yeah, oh man. And it has blown my mind, Luke. Like it's actually caused me some consternation because <laughs> I will be talking to people I know that make 120 to 150 grand a year, right? Which in my books makes them rich. Sure. Like I say, you are a wealthy person. And they're like, no. And they get angry about it they're like i am definitely not rich (laughs) they're like that guy who you know doesn't have to worry about money and has 10 million dollars he's rich or having a private jet makes you rich or or whatever it is and one of the things that interests me about that let's say is that the definition of rich is so someone beyond me Mm -hmm. that when groups say tax the rich or take from the rich. Yeah, they're not talking, or they don't think they're talking about the small business owner. They don't think they're talking about themselves. They're, they're talking about the guy that's, you know, got the bigger house. The, yeah, or the uber rich or something. But here's the funny thing about the uber rich, right? If you took all of the money, every penny away from, like, everyone's like, oh, you know, the top billionaires have all the wealth or like the top wealth is concentrated in this certain point. You take it all, it wouldn't even touch the federal deficit like <laughs> in america or in canada for that matter right the thing that no, you can't get enough money out of the rich those rich people some of them not all of them i'm not i don't want this to be like a, an apology for the rich but i will say this innovation is what what has brought 
people like you and I to a place where we live like kings of old. Oh, yeah, for and sure. that innovation should be rewarded. Yeah, and I think what is great... Uh, absolutely, I agree. That innovation so, so, definitely so sorry, should be but rewarded. But I want to go back to your point. So now we're ta- then we talk about the deserving and the undeserving. And I think this is a big problem with inheritance. And I mean, you can read study after study on this. They say the grandfather makes the money makes the initial money, the, the the father becomes wealthy, and the grandsons whittle away the wealth, mm-hmm. right? Like, basically, if you have, if you're, if you're, if you grow up in privilege and an immense wealth, you're very unlikely, and then we see this with Prince John. Well, he, he's a huge mama's boy, and he thinks he deserves respect, and he's just longing for everyone to respect him more than his brother, and like, oh no, his mom always loved his brother more than him. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But like he is tormented by psychological problems that if you're just trying to survive are probably not going to be as big of a deal for you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So like your point about innovation, absolutely. Like that is something we need to uh, be forever gratitudinous or gra- gratitudinal <laughs> towards. But I think that it's 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 just a different way. I th- I think the obsession here. Here's what I think. I think the obsession is on the wrong variable when it comes to wealth. I think the obsession seems to be culturally and as your conversations seem to betray. The variable currently focused on is how much money do you have? And I think what and I what I argue is actually what Robin Hood is doing is the right question is how did you get your money? Yes. Right? Yes. And then and that because then if that's a question not how much do you have but how did you get it? Someone like Otto, the uh, blacksmith in Robin Hood, would say, well, I put new shoes on the horses of my customers so that their horses can ride more safely, so they can go about their business better, so their day is better. Um, I also make money fixing people's armor so that the military is stronger, so that we can stay safer from invaders. Like Basically, everything Otto would say about how he made his money, he can trace back to something that's very clearly he's adding value yes yes but again like he can say adding value after he's given all those points but he could just give on examples forever whereas if you said to prince john hey prince john how did you get your money and he's like well i had more swords and so and people did what i said so i took it from them now this is unbelievably relevant when we come to think about what robin hood culturally stands for then because Robin Hood doesn't steal from the townspeople or the more well-to-do merchants. He only really takes, I mean, in the movie, he only takes from Prince John. I can't think of anyone else he takes from in the movie. The sheriff, maybe? Yeah, anyway, people. So, as opposed to, if you think about that counterfactual thought experiment I gave, we do have that thought experiment. It's called the Soviet Union. Yes, (laughs) yes. So, like, Robin Hood as communist would have had to do to the merchant class what he did to Prince John, I think, to for that to be to say because well, there's, there's not enough money yeah. among the the wealthy. Well, right? well, and not only that, people will say now, oh, you know, Robin Hood is just a communist or a socialist hero, and I was like, no, Robin Hood is not a communist hero. Robin Hood is an anti-tyranny hero. That's a much better way to think about it because, like, the Soviet Union would go after their farmers. Yeah, like the they people, were too wealthy. Because they were too wealthy. But how did they get their wealth? Well, they sold, they grew a whole bunch of food and sold it to people who wanted the food. <laughs> like, exactly, like, exactly. When you read a little bit about the types of people 
that communist governments go after, you can't help but notice a thread among them, which is like, oh, these seem like all the people you want in your society well, <laughs> doing and I, things I, for everybody else, <laughs> right? And I just, I think it's super important to point out the people who are actually adding value to the society of Nottingham are none of the people Robin Hood go after for their money. Yes. And I think yeah. that is super relevant to the, he's not a communist hero, he's an anti-tyranny hero. Yeah, well, I, I completely agree. And people will will be like, oh, why do you like the story of Robin Hood? He's a socialist. No, he's not. No. Because socialism is tax everyone and then redistribute the wealth. Robin Hood is stop taxing people to death. Yeah. Like, particularly in this movie. Yes. This movie is an anti-state movie. Because yeah. what, what is... Well, an anti... What, it's an autocracy almost? Yeah, well, <laughs> and, well it's an anti-monarchy movie, I guess. But yeah. like, if you if you look at what is Prince, what is Prince John, why is he able to do this? He's the state. Yeah. He's literally the state. Yeah, he's the one person that matters yes. the most. In the state. And he gets to, to he just tells these people to do whatever he wants. And we see, I think, uh the Soviet Union is a good example, but there's a lot of good examples of the worst atrocities in all of human history have always been carried out, always, by governments. Mm-hmm. And the more power you give governments, the worse they become. This is almost inevitable. I would um, say there's a marriage there often between, well, for some things, between government and, like, churches. No, no. But, but I think the, you're but right. they But they used, okay, because if you think about the early church, right, it was persecuted and they were all killed and the state hated them and they were constantly being slaughtered. When they got power, the state's power is when yeah. they became a problem yeah. and started killing people because of their beliefs. But it was the power of the state that was the problem. Yeah. If a church doesn't have the power of the state, like, thank God they don't right now in, let's say, Canada, mm-hmm. then they're not really dangerous. Sure. I, I Yeah. No, you're right. And you're right about the government thing. I think to give the right caveats, it's probably a little anachronistic to use words like communism or capitalism about Robin Hood's era. Yeah. Like, I just don't... Right, f- yeah. Like, those aren't quite the right words of what even would be potentially But I, but I agree on. with what you said. It's it's an anti-tyranny. That's, it's a story of anti-tyranny. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is... Once you view it through that lens, it makes a lot of difference. Like, And this is something I'm totally open to being corrected on because I don't know the Robin Hood lore in that maybe there are merchant class types who got wealthy that Robin Hood stole from, but maybe it was like you could find something that they were more wealthy. But I think it... I think the point is still interesting regardless of the purity of Robin Hood's intentions throughout all the stories is that it's not communism to stand up to tyrants. And the way that Robin Hood stands up to the tyranny of Prince John is to take all of his money away from him and fleece him because, well, Robin's way smarter than him. (laughs) And he knows that Prince John is just stealing that money from the people anyway. I mean, that's made manifestly clear in the movie. If anything's been made clear, it's that these people are so made so miserable by their rulers. And like, I mean, by the end of the movie, everyone's in jail. Yeah. (laughs) Like everyone, every (laughs) single person in the town is in jail. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a little ham fisted in some ways, but, but it isn't really because it's showing what happens when, a state or a government oversteps its bounds. And I mean, we see this in the Soviet Union. It collapses in on itself because no state, no group of people can manage an economy with the efficiency that a market can because you just you can't, 
you cannot make all those decisions. I mean, I think the new show that came out um, on Crave, uh, Chernobyl, is a great example of the complete incompetence that is bred by asterisk historical inaccuracies aside asterisk oh, i didn't know that there was <laughs> well any. like there's like i don't know either there's apparently a couple well like in the sense that there's one character who represents like, oh yeah hundreds a whole of scientists and yeah, yeah. that but you can't have that in no. the show and i don't know if we really know what the high level soviet politburo would be saying to each other but you know i think probably in general Again, the point persists. Well, we do know it was covered up. Yes. And that, oh, yeah. And that they, they covered up the mistake, and then the mistake became kind of catastrophic, and then they, yeah. All of that, I guess, to say, I think Robin Hood, regardless of whether you're a socialist or a capitalist, Robin Hood is still a hero because he's fighting injustice. Yeah. More fundamentally than and any sort of economic Fighting theory. the worst kind of injustice, yeah. which is the strong preying on the weak. Well, this is exactly why I think he resonates so deeply with the culture forever, is that he's not fundamentally an economic figure. He's fundamentally a psychological figure. Well, and actually this goes back to, Nietzsche would argue, Christianity. Because before Christianity, there was no such thing as slave morality. There was no value to the weak. Mm-hmm. The weak were simply fodder for the strong. Yeah. And I don't think Robin Hood could exist without Christianity. Yeah, maybe not. Because uh, what is, I mean, as Nietzsche said, Christ flips it all on his on its head and said, no, the weak will be made strong. Yeah. And the strong will and, be humbled. Yeah. Uh, and That's I, a good I, point. And I find that to be such a, that is the foundation of Western civilization. And, yeah. and that's what they do in the Russell Crowe movie, right? Yeah. Is they point to, I would argue, the foundation of Western democracy, of parliamentary democracy, which is the Magna Carta. The limiting, and I mean, that's the beauty of the Robin Hood story in that in that one, but also in this one. Prince John was the one who was forced to sign the Magna Carta by the nobles because he was such a bad king oh, and because he was overtaxing them. The deliciousness of irony, hey? <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. I'm sure that idea is out there somewhere, but I think, Thinking about Robin Hood in that way is the better way to do it for why he's so resonant and important to our history. Yeah. yeah. And then I just also want to talk a little bit about some of the other good guys. Uh, Little John is the main other good guy, and I just enjoyed his his ability to be a little skeptical of Robin, but then join in with him in his shenanigans and be super loyal to him. And, you know, you, I mean, this is a completely different kind of movie. It remind me a little bit of Sam. Yes. Well, actually, so Little John, to me, reminds me so much of my friend Josiah. Um, because Josiah will often, like, he knows me so well that he'll frequently be very skeptical of things that I say. <laughs> or kind of be like, come on, David. There's or, no way there's anyone no- could be, David. <laughs> there's, there's, there's nothing like a friend. And you do this with me, too. But there's nothing, or, and my parents, there's something so awesome about knowing someone so well that like you can get excited about something and then they'll be they'll still love you they'll still yeah. go along with it but they'll be like you're being you again like <laughs> yeah robin are you like he even says isn't there a law against robbing royalty or there's a law against it and he doesn't want to at first but like it'd be way worse for little john to leave robin in a bind than to not rob royalty <laughs> even though it's against yeah, the law yeah like he'll he'll go along with whatever it is robin hood's doing but you know he kind of knows that, and he also like. <laughs> there's that great scene where he, where Robin Hood is just sitting there stirring the stew and obviously ruining it because yeah. all he because he's like lost in his romantic. Don't burn the chow. 
<laughs> yeah, just that that level of friendship that he shows, I think, is so wholesome and heartwarming. And again, just it's the mastery of Disney that he can make us feel those how close of friends they are with these small psychological cues. Yeah. And then, obviously, Friar Tuck is the other merry man who's a, a very important character in the Disney Robin Hood. And similar to Robin Hood, he's in the game, right? He distributes all the money that Robin Hood has stolen from Prince John to the people of the town. And so he's, I don't know, it's just a perennial thing I find is like, until you put your, until you like put your own skin in the game, how can you really be taken seriously or believed in as a figure or a leader or anything like that? You know, he does that so well. I love uh, the scene where everyone's in prison and he's ringing the bell. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I don't think anyone's coming to church. He's like, well, I just hope that it gives them some hope. Mm-hmm. Right? That they We must them. do what we can to keep our hopes alive. Yeah. That's his line. And I, I'm like, that. now that is the upside of religion. Yes. Or one yes. of the major upsides of religion is doing what you can to keep people's hopes alive. And I think that that was a beautiful part. He also did something, he does something so subtle that I probably I definitely would never have thought about like this as a kid even though obviously it's not like a particularly like hard to follow line but when he goes and visits little John and Robin in the forest he reminds Robin that he's adored by the people and that he's an actual hero of the people and I think that that's a really underrated role in the world because people like Robin Hood now maybe Robin Hood is a bad example of this in specific but people like Robin Hood who it's easy to burn out spending so much of your energy helping others like that is easy to do i can promise you i work in the nonprofit uh, sector in you know human services basically and when your whole job is helping other people burnout is easy i think teachers <laughs> a lot of the teachers that i talk to it's yeah. really hard too because you're constantly like you said or nurses mm-hmm. or and it is amazing when someone in my line of work comes up to me or goes up to someone and just really reminds them of how much their contribution means to like in my case the kids at work and I think that Friar Tuck's maturity and ability to remind Robin of the adoration that people have for him is one of the things that can keep someone like Robin Hood going yeah you know Um, I really like that and I to add to that uh, just a little tidbit that I learned one of the things my my dad has always said to me that has really stuck with me is you have to be full to fill yeah right other people right like you have to have love to give other people and it does seem like it's kind of an economy almost like there's a you know money circulating and you need to keep the money circulating if it stagnates and everyone's trying to save their money <laughs> then you know yeah. the economy yeah, crashes yeah, yeah, and you yeah, have yeah. a recession i think there's a love economy too and there is a joy in giving and there's a joy in receiving. And going back for a moment to the Friar Tuck, though, one of the things I love so much about him is how passionate he is. So when the sheriff takes the money from the poor box as taxes, <laughs> yeah. he just loses his shit. He's yeah. like, you can't get out of my church. Yeah, and I mean, he was like, going to he was gonna beat the crap out of the sheriff yeah. if the vultures weren't there exactly. to help the sheriff. Yeah, and um, from that well of incredible passion for the poor, which is obviously what's inspiring Friar Tuck in yeah. this movie, and giving hope to people, 
he's able to encourage the man who's giving hope to the people. Yeah. Which is well, wow. and it's it's so crucial. It's beautiful in one sense. It's beautiful that Friar Tuck can do that, but I also think it's crucial to if you know people in your life who you admire and you admire people that you think are in ways that are not uncharitably called selfless helping others it's really good to remind them of the impact they're having on others because it can be an unbel it's unbelievably draining <laughs> and it can be so it, it's so easy to feel like you're pouring out and out and out and not ever getting like you could be doing so much good like actual good for others but until that's like totally 180 degrees reflected to you by someone's overt statement of it you need overt reminders sometimes i think and yeah. and friar tuck does that for robin which is cool not again not robin isn't really wavering he's in love but, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. still it's interesting too because it doesn't take now there's two things i'd say on this point the first is don't just go around saying that to people no because people can you gotta know mean if it. you're yeah but if you authentically see something that you genuine this is a rule i've lived my life by and it has produced the greatest friendships that i have and i think it i i often am like why do people like me so much and i actually think it might be this soul quality <laughs> um you're you're uh like crippling humility <laughs> is it that yes, one that, that's what it is exactly <laughs> no it is when i see something in someone that i genuinely care about that I think is good, I will. I almost always try to point it out mm -hmm. and encourage them in that. Yeah. And it doesn't take almost any energy no. to do that. No. But for me, there are things that people have said to me that to this day give me strength. That's awesome. And like, so do it. Like, I just, I really encourage everyone to do it. It'll build better relationships with people and it'll just make people like you more. <laughs> David, you're a hero to the people. <laughs> Thank you, Luke. <laughs> I'm a hero to certain people, yeah. I suppose. Well, maybe not the poor and the struggling. <laughs> eh, you'd be a Robin Hood if you were in this time. That's true. Hey, everybody. David and I just want to take a second to say thank you for listening. Making this podcast has been a great experience, and we really appreciate all of you who choose to spend some time with us. Part of our goal is to be super open about everything we talk about on the podcast. If you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, ideas, feedback, clarifications, or praise, please send us an email at reallytruefiction at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Also, if you get your podcasts on iTunes or Spotify, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you get notified when a new episode is released. If you feel so inclined, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. That is a really good way to help new listeners find the show. And please pass the show along to anyone who you think may enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for listening. Because as I'm sure you have gathered, we love talking. All right, uh, switching gears a bit to the villains of the story. So our prime villain is Prince John or PJ. And here is like the beginning. This is like one of the very first things he says to set it up, obviously, as a cartoon character, but he says, ah, yes, rob the poor to feed the rich, <laughs> you know? And this is bald-faced self-indulgence. And at least now, it has to be lied about. <laughs> yeah. You can't, like, you yeah. can't just have, like, back in his day, I guess, maybe you could, but you can't just have, like, a, 
you know, we got to take more, we got to create more inequality so that we can <laughs> just get fat on sitting on all our money and enjoying it and, and eat more. Yeah, you got to pretend you're not at least. Yeah. yeah. And he, I don't know, he's like, power, power. <laughs> you know, he's just shouting these things. And then it's all of this is so well juxtaposed with him always sucking his thumb and being such a baby. This is a question I wanted to ask you because I've thought about it. I didn't come to any kind of conclusion. So I thought maybe we could like through dialogue get to something on it. Sure. Why does Disney choose to make him so pathetic? I think it's a... Okay. It's probably He's honestly one of the most pathetic villains in any Disney film. Well, yeah. I mean, if he's... He's no Shere Khan. Yeah. That was the exact villain I was going to... But like even Jafar. No. Or... But he's... I don't know. He's got... Those guys also have other weaknesses that are pretty deep. That they're just not as stupid as he is. I guess he's very stupid. Like he's a stupid, childish, well, um, pathetic villain. If you wanted, who's to, easily fooled. If I wanted to riff on my more Republican nature, and I don't mean that in the political party, as I mean in the anti-monarchy <laughs> sense of Republicanism, he has no single skill to befit a leader or a ruler, and this is why we don't have. <laughs> anything hereditary be our form of government because unless you're in canada and your prime minister is the son of a former prime minister dun, 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 dun. <laughs> what are you talking about True. <laughs> um, i'm sure that if he had a different last name he would still be prime minister <laughs> well i don't know i mean whatever he's uh Justin, no, actually, this is a big problem, Justin, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, totally. The I Kennedys, would say... The Clintons, the yeah. Bushes, all of it. Justin Trudeau, he just seems to me like an unbelievably swirling hurricane of contradictions that it's unwise for anybody to be casting moral stones. It seems super unwise for him to be doing it, too. That's what I would say about <laughs> yeah. Justin Trudeau. yeah. yeah. We don't Regardless of any <laughs> of his lineage. <laughs> yes. Okay. We, we don't have to get into him. But so what this hereditary thing reminds me of is there's a quote from Thomas Paine, one of the great moral and intellectual authors of the United States. And he says, when picking a government, it's important to remember that wisdom is not hereditary. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and... Like, how perfect is that? And I think probably... Well, I'll say this. well, here's my guess about Disney. Why do they make him so pathetic? One way to interpret it, I don't know if Disney would do this, but like, if you do not have a robust form of picking of your leaders so that something like a meritocracy where the cream rises to the cop, here's the limit case of what you could get. Imagine if this person had to be your boss. Yes. Right? Yes. Or imagine if this shithead, narcissistic, know-nothing had power of life or death over you. Yeah. Like, imagine if someone crazy and out of his mind and narcissistic had access to the nuclear codes. Like, imagine <laughs> if that was a scenario <laughs> in the oh, world. Wouldn't that be horrible? <laughs> So, okay, <laughs> not a monarchy and it could still happen, but still, still, still. <laughs> but like, okay, look, I don't know. I don't know why Disney did it other than to make it obvious that he's the villain and needs to be the one who we're rooting against. Because really, it seems to me that the critique they're making is a critique on 
so taxation's bad. That's pretty clear. Or over taxation. They're they're making that point over. Yeah, and over I mean again. it's 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 not even over taxation. It's like it's like ninety nine well, to one hundred percent taxation. It's oppressive so, levels of taxation. Yeah. So that's that's pointed out as bad. But the other things that we see is the power of the sword is bad. Mm-hmm. Like having these rhinos and these, they can they kind of do whatever they want. Yeah. Uh, whenever or and they do whatever Prince John says. Like they're basically like jackboot SS members. They're just wandering around doing whatever. Yeah, they have no subtlety. No, like <laughs> they just. I mean, even these vultures that are hanging out with the sheriff at the one point in the film, they're just obeying orders, and they yeah. they're, they're blind ideologues, really. But what are they ideologically following? It seems that they're just doing their job. Yeah, and uh, I think that is a really really dangerous critique that they're making but the the critique of prince john appears to be that when we allow people to gain power simply by manipulation which he it seems like he manipulated richard into going on this crusader that's the that seems to be insinuation yeah. that hiss makes when we allow people like this to have power, unconditional power, it's only going to be bad for the people. Yeah, well, because people who want that kind of power are going to be maybe power, maybe power. not, yeah, maybe not quite as much of a cartoon cutout as Prince John, but perhaps either as incompetent or worse, unbelievably malicious. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just I think that there's obviously things about Prince John that make us. They have to make us think about what we want out of people who have positions of authority. I, I think that might be the more meta structure of if you're going to critique this movie about government, is that he doesn't listen to Hiss, right? No, he treats he, Hiss terribly. Like he's not trusting the only real character in the movie who's loyal to him, not just on paper loyal. Like he seems, Hiss is trying to help him, so he's being self deceiving in that he's thinking Hiss is the one he needs to watch out for, or shut up at least. He can't handle the tricks of the cunning, so he's just totally bamboozled by Robin and Little John when they're the fortune tellers. He's completely undiscerning. Like, in that sense, he kind of reminds me of Butters. You know what he is? From he, he's, he South is, Park. He's hard-hearted and soft-headed. Exactly. Like, yep. He's he, a great example he, of that category. He never learns from anything because he gets flattered, so he just lets people like Robin and Little John literally steal his money but i think that they also figuratively steal his self-respect flattery is a subtle form of not respecting someone because flattery as being insincere means that what you can do for a person matters more to them than what you are for them and i think someone with self-respect couldn't stand for that yeah yeah (laughs) and he it's not that he can't stand for that it's like his favorite thing. I know. He loves <laughs> because, being Because flattered. he can't believe that it wouldn't be sincere. Because he... Holy crap. Well, the more I talk about Prince John, the more I think about some other president right now. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway. <laughs> he, he's At least one. he's not taxing everyone to death. He's, even, his, even his hands, he says, release the royal fingers. So even his hands are more superior than anybody else. <laughs> And he gets so blinded by his rage for Robin Hood that he can't be happy with all the other good things around him, right? So he's like the Mad King. Yeah. He's like the Mad King from Game of Thrones. Oh, just becomes obsessed with Robin Burning Hood. everything and then only wanting to kill 
hiccups or hiss at the end or smack him with a stick. And I don't know, like I just any comment of the negativity of Prince John seems superfluous. Yeah. Like he's so obviously bad. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I don't know if I can think of a villain who's so obviously bad as him because of his lack of subtlety. He's like the banality of evil, right? Like he's evil but ineffective. (laughs) Well. But not ineffective. Well, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I would say being able to put in the entire township <laughs> yeah he's nottingham very... into jail is pretty effective that's true okay so he's effective but <laughs> but he's up to his whims right yeah so i mean again i i guess probably i would still back up to him being a perfect example of why you don't want monarchy because you could get a prince john because imagine and i mean you see this too in game of thrones especially with um joffrey like imagine having to be as wise i'm trying to think now in game of thrones like imagine having to be Varys or Tyrion, like someone of that caliber of intelligence and worldliness and thoughtfulness and yet having to bow down figuratively and literally to someone like joffrey like like i find it intolerable when i am having to even just interact with a person with that lack of self-awareness. Like it's, it grinds on me when I'm a peer to them or like in a restaurant and someone else is yelling at a server or like being a yeah. bull or an ass. Yeah. Like I find that intolerable, right? Now imagine that person having power of life or death over you. Or even just being your boss. Yeah. I've well, had a boss like that. It could, like that is soul destroying oh yeah like you know i i worked in an office where that was the case and the people in the office like they were destroyed like their sense of self-worth and you see this with hiss like he kind of hates prince john and he and he knows it but he like all of his entire being and, and purpose and meaning is like wrapped up it seems like in prince john i mean he ends up one of the only people who has to like be a a slave afterwards with yeah, Prince John yeah, or like yeah. a prison camp or whatever. Well, and interesting with Hiss, the only time Hiss in the movie seems happy is when he's laughing at Prince John. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yet he's so loyal to Prince John. Yeah. It's like this perverted version of Sam. Well, I would say Hiss knows where he's made his bed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so he exactly. can't really sleep anywhere else. Exactly. And uh, he can only really sleep in his own room when Robin Hood's rocking the cradle for him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think Prince John... Probably most overtly, again, a warning against monarchy, but just with the plethora of character flaws in him, like you don't need me or you to point that out. Like just just watch the movie, you're like, okay, bad guy. Yeah. (laughs) Don't be him. (laughs) Don't be him. But a slightly, although not much more sophisticated villain is the Sheriff of Nottingham. It was bizarre to me how much joy he gets out of collecting taxes. Like a low key sadist, where he he just enjoys it. Every time when he takes money from Otto, the blacksmith who's got a broken foot, by the way, and he smokes it when to get all the money. He takes money from the beggar. From the well, beggar. And the, Robin Hood, and the but... kids. He's got like a gleeful part of his laugh that is just like, you know what? You can't even believe how you've made my day by me getting to take your taxes. And like, it's funny in the movie, but I think it's worth percolating on the idea of what jobs might attract what personality types. Yep. Yep. <laughs> The jobs that come with a certain authority might attract the people who want that authority as opposed to people who would be most responsible with it. And so I think that that's a super crucial, I mean, I don't know, other than maybe hiring cops, but like 
hiring for people who are going to have authority or putting people in authority jobs. Like I think that that is an actually unbelievably important role to do responsibly. Yeah. Holy. Giving that kind of power to the wrong people is incredibly dangerous. Mm -hmm. Prince John's weaknesses are pretty obvious. The sheriff's weakness is, is a little more hidden, but it comes out is that it's the same weakness as the emperor from Star Wars, and it's his unbelievable arrogance and overconfidence that makes him blind. He even says to Robin <laughs> during the archery event, when Robin's disguised as a scarecrow, he says, he's talking about Robin, he says, he's scared of me. I can spot him through those phony disguises. Uh, it's like, he's right, there, he's right yeah. there, right? And so it's like, you know, it's a joke in the movie. In real life, it's a total siren song warning against arrogance i think arrogance particularly certainty of of your own ability is one of the scariest flaws to have Mm. because it's one of the most difficult to see through like if you are certain of your rightness in a situation or you are convinced of the the righteousness of your cause you'll do almost anything yeah and you won't think about it Good men are paralyzed by fear, and bad men are constantly men of action. And <laughs> that is the scariest reality that I've kind of witnessed in my life is so often it's the intelligent that are doubting themselves and questioning and, you know, kind of like caught up in the ethical questions. Mm-hmm. And it's the people who just are doing things who are convinced of the rightness of their cause that are winning. Yeah. Why is society this way? And uh, again, I brought it up before, but I, I'm going to keep recommending it till I hope all of our listeners read it. Tim Urban, Wait But Why, The Story of Us. Such a good explanation of why we are that way. <laughs> yeah. The arrogance is the setup, and the punchline is how the sheriff still, like, he falls for the flattery of Robin when Robin is dressed up as Nazi, right? <laughs> when yes. Robin takes yes. over. And I think that this is how, like, the cash out of that is that he can't know what's going on. Like if you are arrogant and easily flattered, you, you're you going to have no idea what's going on. Now, this is the scene where the sheriff is sleeping in the middle of the night while a closed line of money is going out over top of him from the prince's bedroom to the jail. Now, you can't not see something more than that. <laughs> Yeah, you're completely you know? blind. And he's but he's on this because he is a fat cat, self-important and not listening. And he's the authority figure. And yet we see that he's not entirely incompetent. No. Like he can strong. But like, this is I think that makes the danger all the more real because he can slide into that. The arrogance mixed with that flattery makes him blind to the most presumably the most lucrative uh, burglary in the history yeah. of that castle. Oh, Nottingham. <laughs> I just think that that was so well played or well shown by the movie is him sliding into that. And he's such a fucking weasel too <laughs> yeah. because of that scene where he's singing the song of the people. So not even Prince John's minions take him seriously, but he's so slimy because he'll sing against Prince John. But as soon as it comes to it, he just follows his laws. Or the laws of England, which he's interpreting to give to Prince John, right? So he'll make fun of Prince John behind his back. As soon as his friends turned, he's out there enforcing his laws. Yeah. I guess the sheriff has some ability, but he just chooses to not have it because of his... I don't know. Like, what is it about him exactly? I guess it is a, it's just arrogance. Like, he's just so fucking arrogant. Well, and he likes his role. He likes his power. Yeah. 
He's powerful. He's the sheriff. Okay, so story stuff. I loved the little riff at the beginning of the movie on the bridge scene yes. with Robin Hood and yes. Little John because I think that's it, how they were supposed to have met. In, yeah. yeah, in the lore, they meet by Little John challenging Robin to a sparring match with staffs on a bridge to see if he could cross, and apparently Robin beat him, and that's how Little John started to respect him. Yeah, and, at and the, no one had ever beat him. Yeah, before, no one had ever yeah. beat him before because uh, Little John's obviously a lot bigger than Robin. And so Robin had to use his skills and agility and cunning to beat him. And so that was the first sign that little John would respect him. And in the Disney movie, they're running across the bridge and what did they, they knock each other into yeah, the water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I loved that. That was so funny, but it was like, they were kind to each other. Uh, and then the, with the archery tournament, I thought it was really cool just to see, I mean, I would have guessed it was this, but just to see how people entertain themselves throughout the ages. You know, yes. like how the yeah, I like the that. human need to come together for some form of entertainment. The modern concert. Well, we just had our, our Thanksgiving here in Canada. Yeah. And uh, the gathering around a table for food mm-hmm. is such a rich tradition. tradition. Yeah. I don't think it's calculable how important that is yeah. to the human psyche. The event and, I mean, now it's like you could, like festivals or concerts, like it's just... It's so naturally, it's, I, I think it's one of the great, beautiful social things about us is our desire to come together to do something fun. Yeah. You know? And, 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 to, and just and to all as a group enjoy And something. then just from like a historical perspective, how cool it is to think about like, man, this is what they would have done. They would have had archery tournaments. Yeah. Like that's kind of cool. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. In the prison scene, I loved how everyone was taking care of everyone else. Like there was a true sense of communitarianism going on in that jail. It seems to me that scene is what communism says it's aiming for. But the right? problem Everyone with communism take... is it's not voluntary. No, I know that. Yeah, I know yeah. that. No, but I know you know that. That's what's so interesting, though, is that the human ability to take care of each other as needs arise in the most desperate situations is obviously there. It's just figuring out the right ways to put people in situations to tease it out voluntarily. And I mean, obviously, in jail is not a good way to do it because then you're immiserating people. So anyway, we wanted to kind of talk a little bit of some other things that struck us on, I guess, probably what you might say, extra Robin Hood things. And I remember you even said it during the movie when we were watching it it's the scene where robin and little john have just escaped from the archery event and they're out well there's the love scene with robin and maid marion when they're singing but then they go back and everyone's there and they have that big a pox on the, the phony, phony king, king of england and a great song but you pointed it out and it's how tyrants hate laughter and humor the most because nothing subverses people uh when they know the truth and humor makes it so that they laugh out the truth before they can catch themselves, which is why you can joke about anything but the dear leader kind of thing, because even worse than opposition is irreverence. Yeah. And and mockery. I wonder... Okay, so I've been involved, obviously, in high-level leadership a lot and noticed this trend that you're either mocking the leader because every person and this is actually kind of creepy in politics, is that you call the leader of your party the leader, right? And if you're pointing out inadequacies that that person has and mocking them, you are you are stating a side. You're basically saying, I'm in or I'm out of the tribe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with mockery, 
I think this is why freedom of speech is so essential. And we've talked about this in our episodes on South Park, but this is another great example in, uh, let's call it the canon of of, uh, entertainment that we're going through, in which they are making fun of him because he should be made fun of. Because realistically, the power he holds is not because he deserves it. And I will give you an interesting example. One of my, one of the people I find most interesting in the whole world, Elon Musk. The same things apply. There are a lot of people who make a lot of fun of Elon Musk. There's whole memes dedicated to making fun of Elon Musk. And yet there's also a group of people who completely admire him. But it seems to me that when a person reaches a certain point in, uh, let's say, the, the consciousness, in the social consciousness, that loyalty that people have to that person makes it impossible like you're you're stating your side by making fun of them and it's so odd yeah yeah i guess so i mean it seems to me like elon musk shouldn't really give two shits about anyone who well I lo- <laughs> one of the things i love about him is he's constantly making fun of himself yeah. and being like yeah, yeah, yeah. oh i think this is hilariously well, funny well because that to not react to irreverence or satire on you is to not feel like you are so fragile that your edifice could become crumbling down by jokes. Well, and that's, I think, the China stuff that we've talked about before is a great example. Totally. Like where the leader feels so fragile, apparently, that he can't even be compared to Winnie the Pooh. Let's be honest, as much as I completely agree with everything you've said about the president of the United States, people make fun of him all the time and there are no consequences. Yeah, 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 exactly. Right? And I think that is the beauty of the West. Yeah, yeah. Well, for sure, for sure. And this probably won't surprise you to know that there's a great Hitchens line on this. And he says, the freedom to laugh at authority is the beginning of freedom. Yes. And and we see that in this film yeah. done so well. Yeah, well, and like the reason that Prince John throws all these people in jail, I mean, he says it's because of taxes, but it's because he was being made fun of by them in their song. I mean, the song is not very flattering to him. It basically says what he is, which is a fucking total moron. (laughs) (laughs) Just imagine the world where Prince John was someone like King Richard instead, right? We don't know, but I can't imagine... Well, A, I can't imagine them ever singing a song like this about King Richard. But imagine Richard just being like, well, whatever, they don't know anything. You know, like Prince John's identity is wrapped up in what the most plebeian townsfolk member of Nottingham thinks about him to such a degree that he goes to these absurd political or governmental policies. Like anyone who hasn't paid 100% of tax debt goes to jail. Oh, the whole town's in jail. Basically, like I'm not an economist or a social engineer or a social scientist. Doesn't seem like a good idea to have an entire town in jail. No, no. <laughs> I mean, they're not very productive at that point. I know. And so this is like a sticking point for me when it comes to anything is like, okay, this thing that you care about, how do you feel if I make a joke about it? Because then it's a sacred cow and sacred cows very easily crystallize into dogmas and dogmas very easily crystallize into human misery. And so what I think is subconsciously being noted by tyrants who don't stand for it. And I'm trying to put overtly and consciously is that satire and irony and digging at something with a joke is so important, especially not just 
sometimes, but especially to things that have power because that's how, that's part of the way they don't get more power. This happened a few years ago, but here's a particularly poignant example of this in the real world. I think it was 2015. There was a German comedian who made a joke at the expense of the Turkish president, Erdogan. And the joke was something along the lines of the animals that Erdogan found particularly sexually attractive. <laughs> right. And who he might want to be bestial. <laughs> oh, this, man, we're going right back to bestiality. Yeah. yeah full all, circle. What goes around all around. <laughs> now, this was so intolerable to Erdogan. This comment about him. Now, here's the thing. If you're the president of a country, what do you care about a comedian who talks about you fucking animals? Like, yeah. <laughs> like I know. Why if, would you okay, care? If that's ever on your list of things to do that day, you are doing your job wrong. <laughs> there are way more important things for the head of a state to but be dealing not with. not if you're a tyrant. But not if you're a tyrant. So what does he do? He asks the German government to arrest this comedian. What do they do? They open up an inquiry on him. Okay, the total cowardice of the German government on this aside... This was his crime, was making a joke. Now, this is a fundamental assault on everything that we claim to hold dear in the West. If a comedian can get arrested for making a bestiality joke about the head of a state of a different country. We're suffering this right now with the NBA and China and Blizzard and China and Disney and China and South Park and China. The policy of a non-human rights-based country telling us what to do. Literally, they have Muslims in concentration camps. Yeah. They are experimenting on humans Mm -hmm. they treat their own population with complete disregard for their life i do want to give a fun little addendum to the story though okay so one of my current intellectual heroes in the world is douglas murray and his response to this so a british journalist and writer opened up a limerick or a poetry but skewed towards limerick contest and it was like for a thousand pounds when we get a thousand pounds and the only criteria was you had to write the dirtiest limerick you could at the deepest expense of Erdogan. <laughs> so it wouldn't even count if it wasn't so, so cruel and, and disgusting at Erdogan's expense. <laughs> now, again, you're going to go after comedians for making a joke about you? This is what you fucking deserve. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, 100%. You, you can't even. And so I think that what Robin Hood in this Disney Robin Hood, again, it's such a, it's such an important reminder that this is why freedom of expression is so important is that it's often our comedians who are telling us the most truth (laughs) about something. And it's because there's a psychological fact I'd say about humans that the impulse to laugh at a true thing is quicker than the impulse to to self-censor or to subdue it. So you're actually getting someone's true thoughts when they laugh. And it's like one of the only ways you can, it seems anymore, is to get what people really think about something is it's through what they find funny. And what you find funny is any thinking person can find what's funny in Prince John and the Sheriff of Nottingham and Erdogan and Winnie the Pooh, China Man. <laughs> Z, any person with a brain can see why that's funny. Yeah, And that's what is threatening to tyrants because humor and laughter is the form of communication that is pre-conscious, so they can't control it. And so unless they snuff out... They have the, to, yeah, they have to snuff out the joke. Yeah. So you Be- kill the joker. Yeah, because you are letting people communicate with each other even 
if they're just laughing because they know that they the other knows that they both find it funny which means they both don't take this thing too seriously yeah yeah so i really loved your point on that it was like oh man how they how tyrants hate mockery yeah it's like it's like even worse than revolution yeah or or opposition or because it takes the thing that they value most in themselves which is power and and it makes it a joke yeah because if you fight something head-on you at least take it seriously. Yes. If you laugh at something, you're pointing out, you are not even worth my time. You were ridiculous. Yeah, you were ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. And then um, the other thing I noticed, too, that I wanted to bring up just because I think it's important and not so thoroughly talked about in our culture so much is the line from Alan Adale where he wrote, he taxed the heart and soul out of old Nottingham. And this is where he's about to sing his song. Uh, Some towns up. Outnumber the downs, but not in Nottingham. And so he's singing a sad song about the state of the souls of Nottingham, who are in jail, eating gruel, and all tied up and chained together. And it made me realize something important. I think I is this something that I feel like I always knew, but I haven't articulated very well before. And it's that freedom is just much too broad of a term like it's like a lot of the so when i say i value freedom i wanted to narrow it down a bit into like the beginning of it's not just an economic freedom or a physical freedom that's important but there's a a psychological freedom that's needed and so i just finished reading the one volume abridged version of the gulag archipelago by solzhenitsyn and of all of the atrocities and there are countless atrocities he recounts in that book the one that sticks with me the most is how much the people of the Soviet Union couldn't even trust the people around them with their actual thoughts. So like there's stories of uh, wives telling on husbands, husbands telling on wives, kids telling on their parents, um, secret police all over the place. And so what this does and what he recounts is just the hyper paranoia (laughs) of everyone during especially the 30s and 40s 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s of the Soviet Union and when everyone was getting sent to prison for everything. Like there was just no, like the arrest was the conviction basically kind of thing. It got to the point where actually, he talked about how some people actually having to go to prison was just such a relief because now they didn't have to be so scared about about being about whether they would go to prison or not. Now that's like a joke, but it's not, right? It's not people's lives. It's not a joke how psychologically unfree these people were even as they could travel around before they were put in the gulag and i the the example that i give in my own line of work is that if a kid misbehaves i give them consequences but i make them really try to see that i they're not in trouble because being in trouble or me telling on them to their parents and if it's not like unless it's something that their parents need to really know about, like that puts them in a psychological state of worry and stress and anxiety. And then they're not free to be as creative or artistic or thoughtful about their project as they could be. I mean, you think of the opportunity cost of the Soviet Union, like what were all of those citizens not getting to do that would have been great for the country if they weren't fucking terrified of being told on and going to jail. Yeah. And so it made me contemplate this idea of like, Freedom not just being freedom to go wherever you want, but freedom from feeling like someone's out to get you or or like legitimately so with the Soviet Union or even just the kid way of being scared of being in trouble. 
And so then that reflexively puts on me as like, oh my gosh, how can I live in such a way that I'm not a stressor for other people? Because that even one point of stress on them puts them in a, a mild state of psychological unfreedom that I don't want on them because I want their minds and their inner selves to be as free as possible to explore their own avenues of creativity because that's what makes the world more beautiful. And how replete of examples are we where that's just not the case? I don't know. This is, I, Clearly, this is not going to be... <laughs> Like people have talked about this before somewhere, and Solzhenitsyn talks about it in the Gulag Archipelago, where it's not just body freedom, it's mind freedom. I think actually mind freedom is the most important freedom mm -hmm. because mind freedom dictates body freedom. Yeah. Like where if you, you go, don't what you feel do. safe going somewhere because you're worried that someone will say you've gone there. You don't have body freedom, even though maybe you're allowed to. Well, and bring it back to our one of our south parks this is kind of what terrorism does yes right it's yes. you don't have mind freedom yeah it takes terrorism. away and statistics don't matter then yeah yeah well and and even um we recently went and watched the joker but now there's a constant fear after what happened at the bat when batman was released that uh you know you don't know yeah you're in a movie theater but you know people have done this in movie theaters yeah yeah, yeah. like a, a shooting at a movie theater kind of thing yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's like the tragedy of existence that everyone kind of comes across without any malice from other people. And then there's the overt malice that we all kind of know that we're trying to like, this is what we need to avoid. We need to avoid physical, putting people in concentration camps. We need to avoid that, obviously, because of the physical detriment. I just am getting more and more interested in how to like almost live in such a way that we're helping other people be free in their own minds. Not, And I don't mean like, Peace and freedom, man. Like, I don't mean it in a hippie way. Because I feel it in myself. When there's something that I don't feel is just happening, it weighs on me. Or if I feel like something's unfair, or someone is acting, or just anything coming on top. And, like, and I actually think I'm probably better at this than most, and yet I still suffer from it. It's an opportunity cost where I'm not digging into my most creative version where I can do cool stuff or get good jobs done or be totally focused in a task at work or that kind of stuff or have the energy and i don't know i that that part of the jail in, in nottingham really brought that idea out of me and then augmented by reading solzhenitsyn's book which i couldn't recommend more highly to everyone it's like just a three volume scream at against tyranny and opening your eyes to that you know so i think like maybe <laughs> paradoxically enough in a in a story about someone who steals from the rich to get give to the poor the, my biggest takeaway from this time watching robin hood is how important it is to not infringe on other people's psychological freedom as much as you can like making that a conscious prerogative because it's hard enough anyway this is a form of a small tyranny yeah it is a small tyranny to give to someone that you don't want I think that's a really good point, Luke. How are your own opinions and your own dogmas and your own beliefs, little tyrannies that you're putting on others? Yeah. We're not all Prince John's putting people in no. jail. <laughs> or, or, no, but, but like, how are we like limiting yeah. other people and then not allowing them to, to fully express their beliefs on things because they're worried they'll be judged yeah. by us? And I mean, obviously in Robin Hood, Prince John and the Sheriff and I couldn't give two shits about the psychological freedom. And I think that that's also a really important point is that the social and moral progress made since then where we just don't see it as fair 
that people with more means just get to do whatever they want to people with less means. Yeah, that's <laughs> huge <know>? progress. <laughs> like, that's a big thing. That was something about Robin Hood this time that really made me think and then feel like I've learned a new thing, which is a cool feeling. But it's like, again, that's like that thing that you kind of always know is there. And I don't even think I'm fully fleshed out this idea. I think there's so many ways that what I'm calling psychological freedom or mental freedom could be that I haven't even talked about yet or thought about yet. But I, I feel it in its incipient stages, which makes it me kind of excited because it's well, a new idea to pursue. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I like so. it. Well, hopefully we'll pursue it more on the podcast. I'm sure we will. Yeah, well, we'll notice it more now that we're looking for it. <laughs> exactly. We have the uh, availability bias now. Yes. <laughs> Working on all cylinders. It's a live option yeah. now. <laughs> so anyway, that's kind of my thoughts on Robin Hood. I mean, what would you say in conclusion about Robin Hood? I mean, it obviously meant a lot to us in our lives, this story. Yeah, I think what I always wanted to be in life and actually what I still strive to be is the kind of person who does fight for the little guy. And I think that's my favorite thing about Robin Hood, is that he fights against the social structure that he's in to try to make life better for the little guy. He fights against tyranny to make life better. It's not He's not fighting against these things to be the hero. He's fighting against them because that's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm, yeah, One of the things that I strive for in myself which i think is kind of a robin hood-esque archetype is how do you become smarter and more capable than the the evil in the world and this goes back to i think one of my favorite things we've ever discussed that hard-headed soft-hearted being that's robin hood he is fighting evil in the world he's fighting in this case the soft-headed hard-hearted evil of little john by being clever prince john Prince John, sorry. But yeah. Not little John. Yeah. That's a little confusing. That was a little, whatever. little fumble there. <laughs> PJ. A PJ. And I think that everybody can get lost in their own world and in their own concerns and their own selfishness. But if you're a smart and capable person and you're not out there trying to make the world better for the people who can't make it better for themselves, and I'm not talking about necessarily the poor or even the or the disabled or the broken. I'm talking about regular people who just, they don't have the capacity to fight these powerful evils in the world. What are you doing with your life? (laughs) Get off your ass and fight. Like, use what you've been given to make the world a better place. Uh, Don't be the enemy, right? Yeah. I mean, and... Well, who are you then? That's the great, one of my favorite lines is like, what does it take for evil to prosper? Mm. Good men to do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Robin Hood is a great example of someone doing something. Exactly. Which is, it doesn't have to be robbing the rich to feed the poor. Like, just the doing something that you can see is making someone who's not deserving of a pain have less of that pain. Well, and and a friend brought up from our East of Eden episode with me the other day that I'd like to highlight again is, like, when we say there are wolves out there, they are out there. Mm -hmm. And there needs to be people to fight back. And the wolves are not well talked about in our culture. No, no, not at all. And part of that... Well, it's hard to categorize them, right? Yeah, well, and also part of that is the Disneyfication. (laughs) But, well, that's that's another story. (laughs) Because then it's a full circle now. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that's good. I I really like that thought. There's a great line from a... I think it's a 19th century 
American politician or maybe 20th century, early 20th century, where he says, until you've done something for humanity, you should be ashamed to die. I don't mean that in a preachy way, you know, but it's a, it's a, it's a great galvanizing force to self-reflection about what you're, what any given person, like what you feel like you want to be doing. And maybe that's part of the great undercurrent of Robin Hood is Robin Hood behaves in such a way that makes us passively think, well, what are we doing? Obviously, like the literal interpretations you're just taking from people who have more to those who have less. But really, what Robin Hood is doing is taking taking from someone who's making others miserable to make those he's making miserable a little less miserable. And that's like, like that could be a definition of admirable. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no, I agree. Thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. And my name is David Parker. See you later. Bye.